0: The following podcast is part of a certified educational activity titled Translating Data into Practice Examining the Impact of Weight Loss Pharmacotherapy on Cardiovascular Outcomes. Access the entire activity and complete the post test at peerview.com forward slash UGE860. Downloadable slides and practice aids are also available. I'm Dr. Darren McGuire, a general cardiologist at the University of Texas Southwestern Medical Center in Dallas. I'm a clinical trialist, having worked the last 25 or so years in cardiometabolic disease uh, clinical outcomes trials, and I'm pleased to be able to bring to you today um, some uh, updated information about some outcomes trials in the space of obesity. So for the first time, we're actually having clinical outcomes and efficacy demonstrated. Our goals for today are to summarize the relevant data from the European Society of Cardiology and the American Heart Association 2023 scientific sessions, where two large clinical outcomes trials have been presented. Um, we'll show how these data place the management of cardiovascular risk in persons with obesity firmly within the cardiologist's wheelhouse and to encourage implementation of these new findings into clinical practice. More than half of the world adult population is projected to have overweight or obesity by 2035. That's just over 10 years from now we'll be dealing with half of the adults in the world um, with this long-standing morbid and mortal condition Uh, High BMIs associated with increased and earlier mortality risk with greater than two-thirds of deaths in persons with obesity and overweight are due to cardiovascular disease. The effects of lifestyle or pharmacologic interventions for overweight or obesity until recently on cardiovascular complications remains largely unknown. Over the last couple of years, uh, we've had a number of medical therapies being developed for the treatment of obesity. Uh, we have two in the U.S. approved for the treatment of, of obesity. Those are the left most two uh, de- uh, demonstrated on this slide. That's the high-dose semaglutide, 2.4 milligrams, once weekly injectable, and terzepatide, 15 milligrams, w- once weekly injectable. Terzepatide, just in the last three to four weeks, achieved FDA approval for the treatment of obesity. Um so we have these two on the left that over the last uh, six months, since the American Diabetes Association scientific sessions in June of 2023, we have a number of reports in the peer-reviewed uh, literature showing early, uh, early uh, phase two data on a number of novel therapies that are combining multiple different avenues of incretin modulation, servodutide, um, which is combining a GLP-1 receptor agonist. With a glucon receptor agonist on average in their early development program, have demonstrated an average 12.1% body weight reduction. Retatrutide, this is a triple agonist combining GLP1 receptor agonism with GIP and glucagon receptor agonism as well. The most potent pharmacotherapy we have ever seen to date, um, an average weight loss of 22%. A very remarkable, and uh, ongoing trials are studying further the uh, different populations and ultimately will be tested for cardiovascular outcomes. A very early phase one uh, report from a compound, uh, a dual agonist that's administered once monthly injectable, which is now named Um, AMG-133. This yields a 15% average weight reduction. And then finally, we have two oral formulations pushing the needle above 10% average weight loss. uh, Semaglutide oral at a much higher dose than presently approved oral semaglutide currently is approved for the treatment of type 2 diabetes at 14 milligrams once daily. Um, Now, uh, studies have demonstrated a much higher dose of 50 milligrams once daily achieves weight loss that mimics the injectable semaglutide dose that's approved for use. And then orforglopron is another non-peptide GLP-1 receptor agonist, um, again, having a very similar weight reduction, average 12.4%. What's demonstrated in the far right is what we expect to achieve with, on average with sleeve gastrectomy. So some of these medical therapies are approaching bariatric surgery, level weight reduction, and the horizontal red dashed line is the FDA regulatory requirement. Then Uh, drugs to be approved or considered for uh, indication for the treatment of obesity um, are required to have at least an average of 5% weight reduction. As you can see, every uh, agent on this slide has an average greater than 10%, so really moving the needle for efficacy in this, uh, in this uh, disease state. And just to remind you that, that obesity is a disease, and it's a long-standing chronic disease with multiple comorbidities. Um, up until recently, we've targeted individual comorbidities like hypertension and dyslipidemia, physical inactivity. But now, on top of all those therapies, we're seeing um, efficacy for cardiovascular risk reductions that we'll dive into reporting these two trials. First, we'll talk about the STEP-HEF-PEF trial. This was presented at the European Society of Cardiology. This was a patient population of over 500 persons uh, greater than 18 years who had a BMI greater than or equal to 30 kilograms per meter squared. All of these people had heart failure with preserved ejection fraction, um, defined by an ejection fraction greater than or equal to 45, and at least one additional objective measure of heart failure, so elevated BNP or left atrial enlargement or left ventricular hypertrophy, for example. Uh, this trial excluded persons with diabetes, and so this was an, a patient population with obesity but without diabetes. They were randomized to be treated with the weight loss formulation of semaglutide 2.4 milligrams once weekly versus a matching placebo. As w- is done with all GLP-1 receptor agonists, there was a 16-week dose escalation. Uh, this is done for all of these agents to avoid or minimize the GI side effects that are Uh, common with these drugs at initiation, but almost always uh, go away and almost always are tolerable um, to get titrated to the maximum dose. So the ultimate dose is 2.4 milligrams once weekly versus placebo. Uh, This trial had dual primary endpoints, the change from baseline in KCCQ, that's the Kansas City cardiomyopathy questionnaire, clinical summary score, and also change in body weight from baseline. Confirmatory secondary endpoints included six-minute walk distance, a hierarchical composite analyzed using a win-ratio methodology and change in CRP. Just an overview of who was in this trial, the, again, 529 participants, 56% were female, 69 years old on average. The median BMI at, at study entry was 37, and two-thirds of the participants had a BMI greater than or equal to 35. So this was a a, a truly an obese patient population. Um, 7% were Hispanic or Latina or Latino, um, only 4% Black, so um, it would have been nice to have a, a more racial and ethnic diversity, um, but this is what the trial uh, enrolled. Um, over 80% had prevalent hypertension, over 50% had atrial fibrillation, again underscoring the concomitant risk of atrial fibrillation associated with obesity, and almost 20% had prevalent coronary artery disease at baseline. The median in terminal pro-BNP was uh, just over 450 at baseline, and a median CRP was elevated at 3.8 milligrams per liter. Again, anything greater than 2 milligrams per liter is considered an elevated CRP for cardiovascular risk uh, uh, prognostication. The average ejection fraction was 57%, with 66% of the participants having class 2 symptoms for heart failure. Over 80% were being treated with diuretic therapies, including 35% on mineralocorticoid antagonists, over 80% on RAS inhibition, almost 80% on beta blockers, only 3 to 4% on an SGLT2 inhibitor. And again, uh, this is a half half patient population enrolled during a time in which SGLT2 inhibitors were just entering the guidelines for the treatment of left ventricular or or for uh, heart, heart failure with preserved ejection fraction. Lastly, 15% of the participants had had a heart failure heart hospitalization within the prior year. This is the first of two uh, dual primary outcomes. This is change in body weight over a median follow-up of uh, about uh, 36 weeks, a total of 52 weeks of observation. Um, and the end-of-treatment difference between the two groups was an average 10.7% difference in body weight reduction associated with the semaglutide uh, 2.4 milligrams once weekly. So a positive trial with regards to this first uh, primary outcome. The second primary outcome is the change in the key, uh, cumulative summaries or clinical summary score of the KCCQ. And again, this is a score from zero to 100 with higher being better. Um, and a clinical ch- a change in this score of five or more points is considered clinically important. And in this trial, it was observed a, almost an eight-point increase in the in the clinical summary score. So this is a Remarkable! This is the largest change in this score that we've seen in the setting of heart failure with preserved ejection fraction. So a remarkable, a clinically relevant improvement in symptoms of heart failure for these persons uh, living with obesity who have heart failure with preserved ejection fraction. The exploratory uh, confirmatory uh, outcome of six-minute walk test: the uh, participants on semaglutide had a a twenty-meter increase or above placebo increase in their six-minute walk distance. Again, this is a significant finding and is among the greatest changes in six-minute walk distance we've seen in this setting of heart failure with preserved ejection fraction. Interestingly, BNP went down with semaglutide. This underscores the likelihood that not only is this the weight loss that's causing the people to feel better, but also some mitigation of heart failure, um, helping the persons feel better Um, With weight loss, we have seen in the past uh, BNP go up as weight is reduced. We know that adiposity um, falsely reduces uh, circulating N-terminal pro-BNP. And so with weight loss, we do run the risk of of having heart failure get better, yet the BNP not change or maybe even go up. So it's a very impressive finding that there's a statistically significant greater reduction in in N-terminal pro-BNP Uh, with semaglutide than was observed with placebo, underscoring again the likelihood that in addition to the weight loss, um, that uh, heart failure was actually improved uh, with this intervention. These are data simultaneously published in a secondary publication from the primary um, paper. This was published uh, simultaneously with the presentation in Nature Medicine. And this is uh, changes in the KCCQ clinical symptom score, as well as the six-minute walk distance based on stratification by weight loss achieved. Um, and what you can see in the top is the more weight loss that was achieved proportional. Um, so, going from the top less than 5% to the bottom greater than 20% weight loss, there is a graded association with improvement in the, in the clinical summary score. So, the more weight loss that it was achieved, the better uh, the person's reported feeling. And that makes sense. They're aware of their weight. They do feel better. It's it's um, and it's, a, again, a combination of the weight loss plus some improvement in their heart failure symptoms. Um, there's a, also a graded association with six-minute walk distance improvement, although um, it's not as graded as we see with the symptom score improvement. Um, but, again, a clear correlation between the magnitude of the weight loss and the improvement in symptoms and function. Here we see uh, stratified by uh, baseline clinical summary score. So there's really no difference. Wherever you start, you get the same relative magnitude of improvement, uh, whether we're looking at the KCCQ uh, clinical summary score or if we're looking at six-minute walk or um, change in body weight. So pivoting now to the second important large trial that's recently been reported. This was just a few weeks ago at the American Heart Association. Um, This was the the results of the SELECT trial that evaluated uh, somaglutide at the obesity dose 2.4 milligrams weekly versus placebo on cardiovascular outcomes. Participants in this trial were age greater than or equal to 45 years old, had a BMI greater than or equal to 27, so including persons with overweight and with obesity, uh, the hemoglobin A1C less than six point five. This trial excluded uh, diabetes uh, persons with diabetes, and everyone entering this trial had prevalent atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease, so prior MI, stroke, and or peripheral arterial disease complication. So this is a proper atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease outcomes trial. Over seventeen thousand six hundred persons were enrolled. This is the largest obesity trial ever conducted. Uh, the trial was designed to capture uh, at least one thousand two hundred twenty five. MACE events, MACE being defined as a time-to-first occurrence of cardiovascular death, myocardial infarction, or stroke, so a classic gold standard three-point atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease outcome. This trial enrolled, again, over 17,600 persons. Uh, Three-quarters of the participants were male, uh, 61 uh, years old on average. The mean BMI here was 33. Um, 11% had a BMI greater than or equal to 40 or stage 3 obesity, so uh, a fairly um, diseased population when it comes to uh, body mass. Um, Over 80% had hypertension. Three-quarters had a prior MI, so very high-risk patient population. The average A1C was 5.8. Remember, uh, patients with diabetes were excluded. Uh, Two-thirds of the persons enrolled in the trial had what is considered pre-diabetes range hemoglobin A1C. In between 5.7 and 6.4 so a a perturbed glucose metabolism but not achieving the threshold for diabetes diagnosis. Uh, A quarter of the patients had heart failure at at entry uh, ranging from New York Heart Association class 1 to 3 symptoms. 13% had heart failure with preserved ejection fraction and 8% had heart failure with reduced ejection fraction. Uh, Almost 11% had an EGFR less than 60. Over 90% were on some antihypertensive medication Almost 90% using an LDL-lowering medication, um, 85% on an antiplatelet medication, a third were taking diuretic therapy, um, 20% using antianginal medicines, 13% on antithrombotic medications other than antiplatelets, so this is vitamin K antagonists and, and direct oral anticoagulants, and uh, just over 3% using any antiarrhythmic agent on average these were reasonably well controlled with regards to cardiovascular risk factors average blood pressure is 130 over 80 total cholesterol of 153 ldl cholesterol of 78 hdl cholesterol of 44 and triglyceride at 135 these are the primary uh, results for the 3 point cardiovascular mace event cardiovascular death non fatal mi and non fatal stroke uh, there were over 1200 events accumulated Um, a statistically significant reduction in three-point MACE of 20% with a p-value less than 0.01, and again, a 1.5% absolute risk reduction over 48 months of follow-up. This is the second uh, prioritized outcome of cardiovascular efficacy. This is death from cardiovascular causes. Um, This uh, failed to achieve statistical significance, a trend towards a 15% relative risk reduction with an upper confidence limit just above unity of 1.01 and a p-value just above uh, the nominal p-value 0.05 here, a p-value of point, uh, 0.065. And this is based on 485 events, so a fairly substantial number of events to analyze and just missing a statistical significance. Cardiovascular death or hospitalization for For heart failure or an urgent visit for heart failure, this is a combined composite outcome of heart failure-related outcomes, and again, over 660 events accumulated. This did achieve statistical significance and 18% relative risk reduction um, because it was down in the hierarchy following the cardiovascular death that did not achieve significance. No p-value is provided, but you can see from the 95% confidence interval that this achieves a nominal significance of less than 005 All-cause mortality, importantly, a very impressive single-component outcome here, a 19% relative risk reduction in all-cause mortality, and again, achieving nominal statistical significance with a confidence interval uh, excluding unity with a point estimate of 0.81, or 19% relative risk reduction. This is almost a 1% absolute risk reduction over 48 months in mortality. Important to note um, a few individual outcomes. Um, non-fatal stroke actually did not achieve statistical significance and, and barely in, in the right direction, 0.93. This is important to note as the meta-analysis of this class of medications, one of the most consistent findings across the um, cardiovascular outcomes trials in the diabetes spaces has been a consistent reduction in stroke events. And here we do not see that. It's likely driven that these persons do not have diabetes, which clearly increases stroke risk. And on average, these patients are younger than we've studied in the type 2 diabetes setting, and so I'm probably at lower average risk of stroke to begin with. Importantly, heart failure alone, uh, hospitalization or urgent visit for heart failure, a point estimate that's similar to the overall trial finding, a 21% reduction that does not meet statistical significance but is qualitatively in a similar direction. And again, the composite heart failure outcome did achieve statistical significance. And then, importantly, very little is published uh, in the primary manuscript, and we look forward to seeing these data in more detail. But nephropathy composite, this is a sustained reduction of greater than 40 percent of EGFR, kidney-related death, or renal replacement therapy. Um, this is a statistically significant reduction in the progression of, di- of a non-diabetic kidney disease. And, of course, uh, there was weight loss uh, reduced with the uh, semaglutide 2.4 milligrams on average at the end of study end of treatment difference there was an 8.5 percent greater average reduction in weight with uh, semaglutide than placebo and on the right you see waist circumference was reduced by over two inches of waist reduction a a placebo subtracted difference of 6.5 centimeters of reduction in waist circumference some metabolic endpoints of interest uh, a prevention of diabetes in the first line, uh, maintaining a hemoglobin A1c below 6.5 was more common with semaglutide than with placebo. So 12% of placebo-treated patients progressed to a diagnosis of diabetes versus 3.5 in semaglutide. That's a 73% reduction in progression to diabetes. Also, for persons who entered the trial with abnormal hemoglobin A1c between the 5.7 and 6.4 range, uh, 50% who were normal to begin with progressed to this abnormal hemoglobin A1c of 5.7 to 6.4, whereas only 21% of patients treated with semaglutide, that's a 67% reduction in progression from normal glucose to abnormal glucose below the diabetes threshold. Uh, There were favorable effects on systolic blood pressure with an average difference of 3.3 millimeters of mercury, a favorable effect on average hemoglobin A1c with a reduction of 0.3% between smagotide and placebo. C-reactive protein, impressively, 38% reduction in CRP. Remember, the average CRP at baseline was well over 3. And so this is a s- substantial reduction down into, effectively, the normal range of inflammation. And we know that inflammation is one of the mediators of the complications of obesity. Um, and so its reduction, I hopefully, will uh, uh, translate into further risk reduction for cardiovascular disease. There was a modest reduction in LDL uh, greater than uh, in the semaglutide-treated patients, and also triglycerides were favorably affected uh, with, uh, with semaglutide. So, that summarizes the data. Um, for the uh, first time in, uh, in, in my career and in our careers, um, this becomes a cardiovascular disease. Uh, we now have two pharmacotherapies shown in two different populations, one with heart failure with preserved ejection fraction another with atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease, the very patients we see on a daily basis. Now we have evidence that persons with overweight and obesity will benefit on top of everything else we're doing with blood pressure control and lipid management. Um, From a cardiovascular perspective, um, with these weight loss approved type 2 diabetes or or weight loss approved non-diabetes populations, uh, in this case with semaglutide, 2.4 milligrams, subcutaneous weekly, there is an ongoing trial, very similar to SELECT, testing the same patient population effectively testing uh, terzepatide, and there are cardiovascular outcomes trials now being designed and initiated across a number of the medical therapies I presented on the first slide. So we have a very rich future here, but at the the moment, we have evidence to support the consideration of using semaglutide 2.4 milligrams weekly for persons who have these cardiovascular risk conditions who also have overweight or obesity. It's been shown that this dose uh, reduces risk for cardiovascular death. MI and stroke among persons with obesity and prevalent atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease. A 2.4 milligrams weekly reduces the symptom burden and improves function among persons with obesity and heart failure with preserved ejection fraction. And little is known is yet known about the effects on broader outcomes such as atrial fibrillation, obstructive sleep apnea, depressive disorders, work productivity. Hoping to get some of these analyses out of the SELECT trial in the coming months to years. Um, to really glean the evidence from this large randomized trial um, to to address the totality of the morbidity that affects persons living with overweight and obesity. As mentioned, we have several medications on the market and in development now averaging greater than 10% average achieved weight loss. This level of weight loss that we anticipate will be translatable into clinical outcomes improvement. And again, for cardiovascular outcomes, um, this amplifies the imperative for us to adopt These medications and our day-to-day practice in clinical cardiology were presently at the beginning of a field of of evidence um, like we were about 10 or 12 years ago with type 2 diabetes as we were just getting the outcomes evidence. And we're now routinely using SGLT2 inhibitors and GLP-1 receptor agonists for persons with diabetes in the cardiovascular, in the cardiology clinic. Um, These uh, drugs developed to treat obesity will also become part of our uh, day-to-day clinical practice. And we're seeing myriad biomarkers of cardiovascular risk that are tracking the weight loss. Um, And again, ideally, um, in aggregate, will be favorably affecting not just atheroscrotic cardiovascular outcomes in heart failure, but also uh, atrial fibrillation, blood pressure, dyslipidemia, and all of the other concomitant comorbidities that track with obesity and uh, yield a substantial burden of disease for these patients. A major challenge remains affordability. Uh, presently, these drugs are over $1,000 per month retail as we get evidence for cardiovascular risk reduction, anticipate incremental coverage by third-party payers um, now that, that we have cardiovascular outcomes to, to uh, do some cost-efficiency analyses. But uh, to payers, uh, to patients, and to society, these uh, the, the affordability and accessibility remains a major challenge and hopefully we'll uh, continue to make improvements on that front. So that concludes our discussion for today. Be on the lookout for two companion activities in this educational collection that will provide additional insights on the latest clinical data from ongoing trials of medications for obesity. I hope you found this activity informative and useful to your practice and encourage you to participate in the other activities that are part of this curriculum. Thank you very much for participating. This activity is certified by PVI, Peerview Institute for Medical Education. Remember to download the slides and practice aids. Thank you for listening. Download materials and complete the post-test for instant credit at peerview.com forward slash UGE 860. This activity is supported by an educational grant from Novo Nordisk Incorporated.